I'm Miriam Gessier, and this is SEO in 2023. Miriam, what is your number one SEO tip for 2023? From the bottom of my heart as an SEO trainer, you need to know that things will keep evolving faster and faster in our industry. If you ever feel like you aren't smart enough or that you're good enough because you can't keep up, stop it. We all feel this way. We shouldn't, but we all do, okay? So is it not right to try and stay on top of everything SEO orientated or if we should do? What are some of the the better ways of trying to stay on top of things? I used to do this when I was a beginner in SEO. I wanted to be the best SEO ever. And I was real burnt out and exhausted very, very fast. So as SEOs, what do we recommend the most? Follow the long tail, find your niche. Why can't we do this in our own industry? If you like something like image SEO, go down the rabbit hole. That doesn't mean you should specialize yourself in something so narrow that you're not able to find a job easily. It just means that you can add a few things as you go and pile on and build your SEO stack. Yeah. So in general, ideally, you'd be niching down, focusing on a very specific aspect of SEO. But of course, as you said, it can be challenging from a career perspective in terms of how you position yourself and how you may move on to another role. So does that mean that perhaps you need to be more of a generalist when you're working in-house or for an agency, but if you do branch out, if you do start your own services, your own little agency, start off as an SEO consultant, then that's the point that you should really zero in on something very, very specific. Absolutely. So if I had to give advice to people who are in-house, you already are a niche SEO in a sense because you're specialized in the niche your employer works in. So I worked for a bank. To this day, I still get financial SEO contracts. Now, if you're in an agency, yes, you will be dealing with a lot of generic things, but you will be dealing with a lot of new problems that nobody else has. So you may end up being what I like to call the cleanup on aisle five type of SEO. And this could also be a niche in and of itself. I often get contracts where people tell me, we have a technical problem. We don't know what it is. Can you please help? And like I said, I'm currently a trainer, but I also do take on mandates. I have my own agency and I haven't chosen to go after every single e-commerce opportunity. Yes, I will take on some Magento opportunities because I have the knowledge, but I chose to specialize myself in Shopify SEO because that's what people in my area really, really needed when the pandemic started. And It's been a great way to set myself apart from other SEO agencies, but also other e-commerce SEO agencies. Niching down can be quite smart if you know your market. Now, to a certain degree, SEO is a niche in itself. It's a niche of digital marketing. Digital marketing is a niche of marketing maybe as well. Is it not correct that an SEO should also be trying to educate themselves about other aspects of marketing or, or digital marketing? 100% SEO does not operate in a vacuum and I had a few arguments this summer with some folks who thought 
hey, if we make certain things inaccessible using some JavaScript voodoo from 2009, we can control how the bot is crawling our giant website and it will be better. And some accessibility folks were like, no, no, a good 25% of the population cannot access your footer links. This is a problem. So you always need to know the context and the whole is bigger than the sum of its parts. So marketing is bigger than just SEO by itself or CRO or copy. It's very, very important to educate yourself so you can communicate with the other folks that you work with to make sure that they understand your priorities, but that you can also communicate these priorities in a way that they become their priorities as well. That's how you get things done. And SEO is weird because although it's part of marketing, it's also bigger than marketing as well because it impacts business strategy in general. It impacts the technical health of your websites and dev teams, IT departments. Yes. And I come from a background that is very technical. I worked in dev centers for quite a long time. And it was very strange because at first my colleagues did not take anything that I said seriously. And they just thought it would be, and I quote, like design. But if you speak to designers, they say the same thing SEOs say, come and see me before you get started, not after. I can't just paint some pretty on. It has to make sense. Same way for SEO. So you have to find a way to have a place at the decision table. And this does involve learning some things that aren't really shared in SEO tutorials or in SEO courses. It's all about being a human being who operates with other human beings and understands, hey, this project, there are some priorities. How can I make sure that they align with what we're trying to do? How can I make sure to communicate? Oh, you want to do this, but you don't understand how people are searching. You actually need this page on there. It can't be a pop-up. We really, really need that visibility. And that almost leads us up to what we were discussing beforehand, because you were wondering beforehand what tip to share, whether you wanted to focus on training or whether you wanted to focus on being human-centric. But we were talking about being human-centric there, weren't we, in terms of how SEOs need to have the people skills to talk about what they do throughout their organisations. But how is being human-centric impacting SEO success as well? I'm going to share a personal anecdote and um, we'll see how tip number two fits in. I'm actually friends in real life with one of the members of the Google Search Liaison team in Zurich, Martin Splitt. I met him many, many, many moons ago at a developer conference. He didn't know what SEO was and we became great friends and we got to exchange because he knows a lot about JavaScript. Fast forward a few years and here we are talking together and I'm telling you this story. That's literally what it means to be human-centric. You never know when some fun things will happen. You never know when some less fun things will happen, but it's a ride. It really teaches you a lot as you go through life. So my tip number two would be, in 2023, we really need to learn from humans and take the time to train machines, not the opposite. And in SEO, we have this feeling that if I can beat the machine, if I can be smarter, if I can do this or that, that's not how any of this works. Being human-centric means consciously correcting algorithm biases instead of reinforcing them. And I believe that this is the way we can really integrate ourselves into marketing, but beyond that, make a huge difference for humans. Understood. So human-centric, actually having real conversations with people, getting to know people without any 
agenda and certainly without thinking about machines first. I was also very intrigued by your phraseology, consciously correcting algorithm biases. So what's an example of an algorithm bias? Oh, I have quite a few. So the first fun one, going back to my Martin anecdote, a few years ago, I was invited at Google to give a presentation. And of course, I was stressing out because everybody would. And I didn't know what to talk about. I found my topic. And at the end, I had a bias that I had to share. If you type Swiss Army in Google, or at least if you did back in the day, you would see a whole lot of watches, not many military men. It's a bias because Google learned that we need to, to show the Swiss Army watch models, because if you're in Switzerland, you may be more interested in watches than military folks. And if we go beyond this, I deal with a really, really bad bias because I'm French. So if I want to describe myself, I am une experte SEO, an SEO expert. But the problem is, in French, we add an extra E to be feminine. So that word has no search volume. And if I were to call myself a male expert, I would get visibility, but then people wouldn't hire me because I can't write in my own native tongue. I'm making a mistake. So I chose what is called an epicene term. So it's a middle ground term that is gender neutral, a specialist. The problem is that you have a lot of search volume for expert masculine, some search volume for specialist, very low volume for expert feminine. And if you type into Google that you're looking for a copy expert in French, in feminine, or an SU expert feminine, Google will go, oh, um, we'll show you a few, like maybe one to three results max. But we know that the dominant search that you want to see is actually the masculine. So let us show you men. So not only am I competing for the top three spots, because that's all I am afforded. But on top of that, I'm competing with folks that do get plenty of visibility that I can never hope to have because, oh, I have that extra E at the end of the word. These are the types of biases where, in theory, Google says we adapt ourselves. In practice, it does take some pointing out for them to correct it. Why, why should it take some pointing out? Because, I mean, surely there are things as simple as a dictionary that, that Google could have a look at and actually see that expert without an E and expert with an E is the same thing in French-speaking languages. That is the theory, and that is how they explain it, that they will adjust and that they will show you these results. The actual practice, what happens to us, is that we have top three and then is just masculine results. So Google did understand. It's just that it's been biased, it's been autocorrected, and not everybody sees this. So for example, if I were to have a conversation in Gmail with some friends, all ladies, we will always be autocorrected to masculine and will not exist. You have to fight against the machine and it's very exhausting to be erased like this. But nobody thinks about this until it's your own situation. So that's what I mean by we have to correct algorithm biases. And the way we can do this, well, the internet already knows, there's been quite a few Google bombings over the years where humans decided to send a very strong message to the algorithms going, mm, this is what we feel should be the answer. So you will see certain things that are not as sad. For example, back 
before Betty White passed away this year, you would search her name, she's an actress, and one of the people also asked questions was Glorious, is Betty White older than sliced bread? Because there's a meme going around. She was technically older than sliced bread in America because it got trademarked a few years after her birth. And the machine learned that humans really want to know this about Betty White. So we know that we can absolutely correct some biases. Let's focus on this for better or for worse. So just looking at your specific example then, um, SEO expert with an E, how do you train the machine that that result should just as likely qualify for number one position as the result without the the, the E? Um, you, you talked about Google bombing. I guess, what, what do you mean by that? And um, are there any other specific techniques that you could use just to train a machine? First of all, I do not condone Google bombing. It's not supposed to happen. Google says it does not happen, but it did become a dictionary word. So I will leave it at this, okay? Status quo. Google bombing is when a lot of human beings, mostly on reddit.com, decide that they are going to send a message and make sure that, you know, every signal that they can send, that's what I'm going to leave it as, points to the same thing until search results are impacted. Now, concretely, what can we do as SEOs, because Google bombing is not what we want to do in our jobs, what can we do to help provide feedback? multiple things. Number one, there's office hours where you can raise this problem. Number two, we can write about this problem. I mean, our industry is focused on explaining how things work. Let's discuss that. The third part is Google is genuinely making an effort to integrate inclusive writing. So this means the median point, but not just that. So there is a better understanding of specific epicene terms, so terms that are gender neutral, or the fact that more and more women will start using expert and start seeing some results. So this is what I'm hoping for. I'm not even hoping for a chance for expert feminine to join the dominant results. I'm just hoping that when people do search for the feminine, they do get the feminine, period. Not an autocorrect saying, hey, maybe you'd enjoy this male dominant result instead. Oh, to think about there. I mean, it takes you into the rabbit hole of language, doesn't it? I mean, obviously, French is very famous for having male and female versions of many things. There are male and female versions of different professions. For example, in the English language, it used to be commonplace uh, to use actor and actress, but now it's just actor nowadays. So perhaps the, the French language will move towards that and having singular versions of each word. Let me tell you, there's a few things you should know. So inclusive writing is actually welcomed and encouraged in Quebec, in Switzerland. In Belgium, I believe it is so as well. And it has been banned from schools by the French Academy in France, because apparently it's an attack on language. Another element you should know is Yes, you have actor and you have actress. In France, since the 1960s, we have specific gender roles for the same job because sociologically, it was a better way to introduce women into the workplace, make the men there feel less threatened for their jobs and pay the women less because that job is apparently not seen as valuable as the male equivalent. So when we say we go down the rabbit hole, that's true. And the problem is that the machines have learned this from us. They didn't come up with this. 
We feed them this information. That's what I mean by consciously correcting algorithm biases. When we feed this information, when we use a stock photo of a businesswoman crossing her arms and looking at a laptop, it sends a message as well. So I think that this is something as, that as SEOs, we have a very, very small margin of action, but together the whole is bigger than the sum of its parts. So our conscious efforts as an industry will have an impact. I would imagine it would be wonderful to continue this conversation, perhaps as a majestic webinar at some point and uh, discuss exactly what is happening and perhaps what we can do about it. That'd be great if we can have you as part of that, Miriam. That would be lovely. But in the meantime, I'm just very, very thankful that I get to share these tips with everyone because it does take a while to make it on here because I didn't start my career yesterday and it feels really, really good to have something that I feel would add value to this industry and this community. So I'm just happy to be here. Well, we appreciate you coming on and we appreciate you sharing something different and thought-provoking as well. Well, you've shared what SEOs should be doing in 2023. So now let's talk about what SEOs shouldn't be doing. What's something that's seductive in terms of time, but ultimately counterproductive? What's something that SEOs shouldn't be doing in 2023? We, to an extent, all do this. We fail to prioritize things. We get lost. There's so much to know. There's so much you want to do. There's so much that should be done for this project to go well. And SEO sometimes can feel like poker. You don't know if you're going to win. You don't know how it's going to go. So you want to do all the things to make sure, like a good student, I did it all. And then you get frustrated because your peers, your colleagues are not implementing what you ask them to do because it's not their priority. And this is something that we should stop doing collectively, but also for people who are entering the industry. Please do not feel like you have to be the perfect student. You are dealing with a website that has many moving parts and many, many stakeholders, many folks who work on it. You are not alone. You are not in a vacuum. Please prioritize your time but also your colleagues' time. Miriam Jessie is SEO trainer at Pragam, and you can find her over at pragm.co. Miriam, thanks so much for being part of SEO in 2023. Thank you very much for having me. A bientôt. Get your copy of SEO in 2023, the book, over at seoin2023.com.